Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to shout out any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you on board. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I'm your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from Reading, Pennsylvania is Micah Storms. Micah, how we doing? That's a tough one. I uh, I was enjoying, I think I had two straight weeks of positive um, podcasts. And now after this Oakland series, tough to have good vibes about this one. But I'm good, but I'm not loving where the Red Sox currently are. So, but I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Once again, on the the midweek show, the vibes are not immaculate as much as uh, Red Sox (laughs) fans hope they would be, but oh, well. Uh, Also joining us tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how are you? Well, what a weird time to be a Red Sox fan. (laughs) Uh, you know, we got an interesting couple of weeks leading up to the deadline. A lot of weird innuendos coming through the uh, Boston beat writers as to what the approach will be towards the deadline. We're going to talk about that on tomorrow's episode roundtable. It'll be all about the deadline. And um, but yeah, and then you go out to Oakland, you drop two after sweeping them. You won game one. So that's four in a row and uh you know i think we were a little concerned about uh game two um and then brilliantly i said the bayo game was going to be an automatic win that didn't happen but let's uh just look at the standings real quick so the red sox are still uh in fourth place yankees uh a little bit below us aaron judge was taking batting practice today so i don't know what his timeline is but you have to think it's uh not going to be long and uh they'll do something stupid at the deadline too but um so red sox fourth place right now two and a half games back from the third wild card spot which i think is owned by the toronto blue jays at the moment and uh i'm looking at you know the the streak section on the standings Tampa's in second. They've lost four in a row. The Blue Jays have lost two in a row. Red Sox have lost two in a row. Yankees have lost four in a row. So the whole division right now, with the exception of the Baltimore Orioles, just getting absolutely pounded on. So the Red Sox didn't lose a ton of ground because everybody else was losing. But still, uh, we we got a tougher schedule ahead. So we'll see. Yeah, the Red Sox are very fortunate that they didn't lose too much ground because of the rest of the division. Although, you have to admit, what Baltimore is doing right now, and by picking up uh, Fujinari from Oakland, who we just saw in this series, they've already added to their bullpen. They're being aggressive, and Red Sox you know, lose two out of three to Oakland. That's still a bad sign. So they've got to get it going quick, and uh, this series did not help. So uh, we'll get into our... Midweek bottom five here, unfortunately. We didn't expect to be doing a bottom five, but here we are. This is the way it goes. So 
Coming in at number five, Micah, who's leading us off? Yeah, here we are. <laughs> Once again, um, coming in at number five is Christian Arroyo. And Arroyo was one for seven in the series. Um, and overall, I mean, if you look at his July, his July is not terrible. He's hitting 297 with a 316 OBP. Um, but it just seems like he goes on these hot and cold stretches for very long periods of time. Prior to the break, he was on a really hot streak. He had hits in one, two, three, four, five, six, six straight games leading up to the break. And then obviously the the all-star game break that can cool some hitters off. And I really thought against the Oakland pitching, I thought this would be a great opportunity for him to uh, get going. And it just didn't happen. And you have to wonder you know, Pablo Reyes, he can only be down in AAA until Sunday. Sunday, they have to make a, a decision on him because he can be down there for 20 days, and that will be the 20 days. So there's a roster crunch coming. I'm not sure Christian Arroyo tech should be the guy to go. Uh, I think Kike Hernandez probably would lead the pack if Red Sox fans had a choice of who should go and who should stay. But Arroyo going one for seven against Oakland, and he was two for 16 on the road trip. That's not convincing the front office that I deserve to be on this team and have a roster spot, especially when the trade deadline's coming up, and especially when you have a guy who a decision has to be made in two days. So uh, Arroyo, not sure what to really make of him. Uh, I had high expectations for him, at least offensively. I think defensively, I think people think he's actually really good. I, defensively, I don't think he's anything special either. I don't think his range is good, but I had high expectations based on how he ended uh, 22 offensively, and I think he's been a, a big disappointment in terms of the offensive production at second base. Terry. The Red Sox middle infield is middle infield hell, really. Um, we've had so many great middle infielders over the past couple decades, and this is just about as bad as we've ever seen. I mean, Kike failed. Um, we're just getting Yu Chang back. Uh, Pablo Reyes, I actually like him. I probably like him the most of anyone on this crew. Um, but he's been out, and they're kind of sandbagging his his rehab. Like It sounds like he's ready to come back, but they, they just don't want to do it because, like Cody said, there, there's a bit of a roster crunch. And, um, you know, and then you got Christian Arroyo. He's not really hurting us defensively, but he's not giving you anything offensively and a lot of tough decisions are going to get made here in the next 12 days 13 days and I think Arroyo could be could be part of that he's had a, an ample opportunity to establish himself as maybe a Brock Holt type guy like he's had a chance to kind of establish himself in that role and he just hasn't done it he hasn't done it great clubhouse guy 
Unfortunately, he's the all-time leader in, in pulled hamstrings in Red Sox history, as as I've tweeted out. Um, I don't I don't know what to say. You know, Trevor Story's coming back, and some of these some of these guys are going to get let go. And if it's Kike, her, uh, it, well, yeah, Kike. I meant to say Christian Arroyo. Um, oh well. Like I said, he had his chance, and it it didn't really uh, didn't really pan out. Yeah, I think when you look at Christian Arroyo and Kike Hernandez, you're looking at two guys who they just they do not need to be here anymore. Once Trevor Story comes back, once Pablo Reyes hopefully gets activated and comes back uh, this weekend, there's no need to have those guys here. It's just the Christian Arroyo experiment has not worked. This was a guy who was a former, you know, high prospect, not a, not a number one prospect, but he was well thought of when he was first drafted. Um, you know, Hyam traded for him when he was in Tampa still. You know, he, he wanted him there, brought him back to Boston when he got the job here. Arroyo ha- always had the benefit of, well, he's still young. He's still under 30. You know, maybe he hasn't reached his full potential yet because he hasn't had the chance. This was his chance. This year was it, especially once Trevor Story went down and they announced that, yeah, Kike is going to take over short. We all looked at it beginning of the year. We said Christian Arroyo should be playing every day at second base. And, yes, the health concerns are always going to be there, but if he can stay healthy and he finally reaches that full potential that High and Bloom and so many people believe that he has, then no problem. It just never worked out. It You know, whether it was – he went on a cold streak with the bat, whether it was his defense was subpar at times. He, he'll make a, like a flashy play every now and then, which is great. But at second base, you you more just want the steady guy. You know, the flashy plays are for like your corner outfielders. Like, okay, yeah, make a dive and catch every now and then. Great. I, I don't need Christian Arroyo, you know, doing the flashy Dustin Pedroia play. I need him to turn double plays and make the routine outs. And sometimes he's proven he can't do that. Um, and then the health thing just, it creeped up again this year. I was joking with you guys before the show, but it's true. Every time he grounds out and he's, you know, running full speed down the line, I sit there and go, Oh, please don't do that. You're, you're going to hurt yourself. Like you're going to you know blow out your hammy again, or you're going to land on the base the wrong way. Like it just, it's always there. So between health, between inconsistency at the plate, it just hasn't worked out. And I don't know how much more, we need to see Christian Arroyo on this team because I I don't think he's part of your future. He's not really helping you in the present. So what's the point? Like at, at this rate, just move on. Um, you know, if he's still here after the roster crunch, which is inevitably going to come, then okay, fine. I think I would still prefer him over Kike at this point because Kike is a complete mess. At least Arroyo can go on a run every now and then offensively, but that's really it. Um, he, he really doesn't provide you much, much else. So, uh, just super quick here. Um, he, I, I can't remember if it was over his career or in 2022, he was hitting something like 285 against lefties. This is Christian Arroyo. He's hitting just 200 this season. And how many walks do you think he's drawn since April 29th? <laughs> Less than 10. 
He's drawn three walks in that time frame. There might have been an injury in there. Uh, for comparison, and this is just a small uh, sample size, uh, this will be 15 games uh, in 2023. Pablo Reyes is hitting 409 against lefties. So who's who's going to be your bench guy, middle infielder, after the deadline? Yeah, I mean, that, probably Reyes. Probably Reyes. It should be Reyes. I think Reyes is the better athlete. I think, you know, his splits against lefties, you can't ignore that. You know, it's funny because, like, a lot of people like to sort of joke about the Rob Refsnyder contract extension. Like, oh, why should we be excited about Rob Refsnyder? He's done exactly what they said he would do. He mashes lefties, he takes walks, and he plays good defense. Christian Arroyo doesn't do any of those things. So, yeah, between Ref Snyder and Reyes, you don't need Christian Arroyo anymore. You don't need Kike Hernandez anymore. So, yeah, in terms of just Arroyo, though, his days might be numbered for sure. So, speaking of that middle infield, coming in at number four is uh, Yu Chang, who a lot of people were very excited about coming back from the ham eight injury. Um, obviously, he's known more for his glove than his bat. He's got a little bit of pop in his bat. He'll run into one every now and then, but he's more known as a defensive shortstop. This series, not only did he not come through with the bat, he had no hits, played all three games, did not record a hit. He did have an RBI, but that was it, and then made an error this series as well. And that defense that we all thought was ironclad and, you know, was really good with him did not show up. So, and I think it was more just... I think you really saw this is what Yu Chang is. He's a decent player, but he's a 4A player. He's really not a major leaguer. He's, you know, he's a fringe roster player on a team like, you know, the Athletics, you know, or the Tigers, someone like that, the Rockies. Like, yeah, maybe there he's an everyday player, but here in Boston, he really shouldn't be. Now, I still like him. I like him as a bench piece, but again, there is that roster crunch coming with Story and Reyes and, you know, you've got some pitchers coming back too. So I'm not sure there's going to be room for him. And, you know, I don't, I'm not saying Yu Chang should be DFA'd or, you know, get rid of him. Like I'm, I'm fine with keeping him in the system. He's a 26, 27 year old hitter. Like I think he can still grow a little bit at the position, but let's be honest. He's not the savior that people painted him to be when he first came back from the injured list. And that position, that middle infield, will not be stable until story comes back and they figure out what the hell they're going to do at second base. But I don't think Yu Chang is the answer one way or the other. Um, Micah, what are your thoughts on, on Chang? The uh, 191 OBP is to me the, the biggest concern because he's not contributing in any way offensively. He has power but he only runs into one one every uh, one out of every what 20 30 swings so it, it, he's just providing no offensive production last year in 11 games he hit 150 with the red Sox, but he had a 346 obp so it didn't seem like he was not getting on base consistently or he he was getting on base consistently even if it wasn't via hits but now it's like there's no hits and there's no on base, and he's striking out at an alarming rate. So I just 
I think he would probably be my first DFA candidate out of the middle infield just because with Trevor Story coming back, I would think once Story comes back and he's healthy, he's your starting shortstop six out of seven games a week. Like he, he should be the guy. And I don't see a spot for Chang. I would rather have Pablo Reyes and Arroyo platoon second base than Yu Chang being somewhere in the middle there because he just provides no offensive production. And he, to me, he's an automatic out when he steps in the batter's box. And I, I don't know how you keep a guy like that when Pablo Reyes is, I think he was hitting like 280 or something like that. And he had a pretty good OBP. I'll take that for a, a guy who's going to play two, three times a week, as opposed to, well, if Yu Chang's in the lineup, it's either he's going to run into one and hit it 440 feet, or he's going to go 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, because that's what it seems like he's doing on a nightly basis. I like him defensively. I don't really care that he made an error this series. That happens. Um, I think he's been really, really good defensively for them in his limited role. But offensively, it, I don't see a a quick fix to get him to the point where he's at least contributing in some fashion. Terry. I'm not going to lie. I, I had never heard of Yu Chang before this season. Um, he's barely a 200 hitter over his career. You know, he's played uh, the first handful of years of his career uh, going back to 2019 actually um you know he came up in the cleveland system played for pittsburgh in uh 2022 uh, only 18 games by the way uh 36 games last year with the tampa bay rays wasn't super impressive he's never hit double digit home runs over his career um he was the mvp of one of the uh World Baseball Classic rounds uh, for Team Taiwan. Uh, excuse me. I don't know what group they were in, um, but uh, he, you know, he he had some moments in the WBC. But I, like Micah said, I mean, if he goes first, that's fine. That's fine with me. Looking at his splits. Uh, he hit also hits lefties a lot better. He's a 250 hitter against lefties, 167 against righties. So I would probably still prefer Pablo Reyes over Yu Chang. Who knows where Bloom's head is at with that? But but you can't platoon him with Reyes if if they're both better against lefties. It, it would make more sense. If if Chang had much better numbers against righties, but it's just it seems like every every middle infielder we have hits lefties better than uh, anything. So I'm not a big Chang guy, but it's still you probably win more games with him at shortstop than you do with Kike Hernandez. And when Kike's having a bad game, sometimes it rubs off. You know, then then Casa starts making mistakes and it's just it just adds a level of anxiety uh, when Kike's out there. And, you know, it just leads to a domino effect with Chang out there. No, 
no uh i guess he did have an error in this series but for the most part it's been pretty smooth that's that's about all i can say about him yeah i mean he did make an error but that glove has proven to be at least somewhat more competent than uh kike hernandez who what does he have 16 17 errors on the year so uh you know yeah we'll we'll see maybe his glove keeps him here but who knows uh, moving to the other side of uh, the diamond, number three on the list, Terry, who do we got? I am going with Joe Jakes in the uh, three spot this week. He was the opener for game two. Um, had a, uh, well, I should say it was a clean first inning in terms of nobody <laughs> came across home plate. He did give up a uh, leadoff triple to Tony Kemp, who has some wheels and, you know, can get around the bases. But um, other than the triple, gets out of the, the first without giving up a run. Second inning doesn't go so well. Um, Ryan Noda, who last I checked, leads the American League in walks, by the way. Uh, he homered, uh, hit his 11th home run uh, to, to lead off the inning. That put Oakland up one nothing. And then uh, next batter, Oletimus Diaz, hit a single. And then one of my favorite names to say, it just flows well off the tongue, J.J. Bladé hits a two-run shot. Uh, and he's had some impressive moments throughout the, uh, both series um against Oakland and uh so that was a two-run shot Oakland goes up three nothing and that was it for the rest of the game no more scoring no more scoring Red Sox didn't put up a run Oakland didn't score again but you know it wasn't a good opening uh situation for the Red Sox and we haven't really been getting hurt with the opener um Brendan Bernardino has been very good in that role, and he's been very good in every role, by the way. Um, but really, since since Caleb Ort got uh, tossed, you know, or optioned, is that me? We're getting some bad feedback here. Oh, it's gone now. Apologize to the audience. Um, where was I? It, basically, since Caleb Ort. Um, got option down the the opener role hasn't uh hasn't really hurt us um you know what's happened after the opener you know has but not a good outing by jakes and uh i hope we don't see him in that role again micah thoughts on jakes i think it might be my mic i think i'm am i am i buzzing no, it's doing its normal. Oh, actually, yeah. That's your mic. Jason, why don't you give yeah, your take didn't. on Jakes, and I'll try to figure it out. Sorry about no, that. Yeah, we'll circle back to Micah in a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Red Sox have been lucky with the opener situation because that shouldn't work, especially for this team, the way it was meant to be constructed. It wasn't meant to be a team that needs to rely on openers. Um, that's why you paid Corey Kluber $10 million because you thought that he would be pitching in your rotation, even at the back end, even if he was giving you 
Nick Pavetta type numbers, not the Nick Pavetta we saw this week, but the regular Nick Pavetta of, you know, ERA four and a half, um, you know, out of there by the sixth inning, gave up three or four runs, but hey, at least he kept you in it. That's what they were expecting. Now you're seeing guys like Joe Jakes, who is just, again, another 4A player, if you can even call him that. I mean, the guy's 28 years old. We're not talking about a prospect here. We're not talking about Chris Murphy, you know, who's, who's you know, sub-25, like maybe has a shot to become something. No, this is a guy who's, if anything, he's a back-end reliever that you put in when you're up by seven runs, and he's opening games for you. So I don't know why the Red Sox expected that to work. The Bernardino-Pavetta combination seems to be working, so that at least is good, but they've got to figure out something else in terms of who to put in front of Chris Murphy because Joe Jakes is not the answer. And the more that they have to rely on him in that role, just the worse it's going to get because there's only so much luck you can press with a guy like that. And it got exposed this week. It didn't work for them. So, um, like I said, like you said, Terry, hopefully it's the last we see of them in that role and they figure something else out because that was not fun. Uh, Micah, your thoughts on Jake's? All right, I think I'm good now. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, to me, I don't know why Cora tried to push the issue on Jake's. I, I think you got you got one inning out of them, and I think they should have tried to be more uh, be more aggressive with Murphy. Um, they probably thought, well, it's the Oakland Athletics. Uh, let's see what we can you know if we can get another one out of them, but. After he gave up the first home run, like you already got a scoreless first inning out of Jake's. I think that was more than enough. And if you look at his splits, he actually has reverse splits. Lefties are hitting 455 off of him. So if lefties are smoking him, what value does he really have? He, and righties are hitting 257. There's, there's no batter he can really go out and dominate against. So I, I just don't see... To me, this is another Garza. This is a Caleb Ward type pitcher that you're trying to get something out of him, but he's just not capable of getting even the Oakland Athletics out. And that's the by far the worst offense I have seen all season long. And if he can't get them out, you know, how's he? I don't know how he got that save, that scoreless one, two, three inning in Toronto. Like, that that really happened. I almost have to like rewatch it to believe that that actually happened. Um, but I don't think he's long for this bullpen. He's another bloom fine that you're throwing a dart at the wall, hoping it sticks. And I don't see this one sticking at all. I agree. And th those splits are alarming for a guy who's a lefty with his arm slot. Cause he does have a weird sort of different delivery. That's usually you know, deceptive and is tough for left-handers. It's clearly with him, it's not. So it shows you that his stuff just isn't good enough, no matter what kind of arm slot or delivery he uses. So that should tell you all you need to know. Um, speaking of left-handers, left-handed hitters this time, Micah, who's coming in at number two on the list? Coming in at number two is Alex Verdugo. Uh, it was a really tough series for Verdugo. He was one for 11. And if you just watched him in the batter's box, he really looked defeated. He had a check swing strikeout today on an inside slider. It was a really good pitch, 
but he chased it with two strikes and he just doesn't look locked in at all. He really hasn't looked locked in for quite some time. Even the the go ahead home run in Toronto, he said after the post game uh, in the post game interview, I haven't been swinging it well, but I, I I put a good swing on that ball. But I went back and I looked at his last fifteen games. He's hitting one sixty one with a two thirty eight OBP. And then I went back and I looked at one other thing. You know what he's only done one time in the last 15 games? Lead off. Oh, lead off. Lead lead off. And that to me, he was cruising as the leadoff hitter of the Boston Red Sox. And he just was a tone setter. It felt like every inning, every first inning, he either hit a double or he walked. And it really got the offense going. And now that Jaron Duran has really emerged as a big, big time producer in the lineup, they've put him at the leadoff spot. And I know Alex Cora said a couple weeks ago he really likes the ability to move Verdugo around the lineup. And Verdugo said he doesn't mind it. But the production, I don't think you could ignore the the results lately. He's just not himself. He's striking out more. And I don't know. It makes me wonder. You have a really good thing with Verdugo as the leadoff hitter, and it's hard to find good leadoff hitters. And I think Duran can do it, but I wonder, you know, would Duran be better in that five, six, seven hole, kind of in the middle of the lineup, starting things over again? I wonder if that would be a better spot because we've seen Duran have success in the middle or the bottom of the order. He did that for the first six, six, eight weeks that he was up. I wonder if putting Verdugo back at that leadoff spot, you know, just that familiarity, uh, if that gets him going again. But they need him to go. He's kind of the catalyst on this offense, and they, they, you, you notice when Verdugo is cold. He's he's a guy who has a ton of energy, and I think guys feed off of him. And right now, he is not playing with a lot of energy out there. And we talked a couple weeks ago about could the Red Sox trade him if he has another tough eight or nine games here before the break? I don't know what type of value he has leading into the, into the trade deadline. If that wasn't even, if that's an option because he could go 25 games where he's hitting 150. I don't know if you're going to get the return that we once thought he could get, you know, a couple weeks ago. Terry. I don't hate, Verdugo in that leadoff spot, and I agree he seemed to thrive in it and really embrace the role. But I think with the emergence of Duran, you're getting a double most of the time compared to a single for Verdugo. So I think that's just too hard for Alex Cora to pass up. And quite frankly, I mean, some of those should be singles. <laughs> Duran is just a maniac out there and, and can just stretch it to a double. And especially outfielders not in the AL East with a little bit more familiarity with him, they're just approaching it routinely and you're not seeing urgency on their part to get the ball into second base and... I think Duran has taken full advantage of that, to his credit. So um, I, I don't know if we'll we'll see Verdugo in that spot. 
He did hit pretty well, though, after the month of May last year, moving around quite often. And I think he had more at-bats last year in the five-hole, believe it or not. And that was still with with J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts in the lineup. And, and Verdugo was still thriving in that spot. And I, I think he was brought up to the one and two hole at various points. But um, it's interesting. I mean, he's not a guy who's truly gotten cold all season. This is probably his first big cold streak. So um, hopefully he gets out of it. I did talk on, uh, I think it was the Totally Legit or Calling the Cops episode. I think Verdugo, I think there's a a 25 to 30% chance he gets traded. I really do. Um, you look at all the lefties. We are too lefty heavy, and I, I complained about that all winter. It's just you're really flawed, and you're never going to have a, a set lineup. And you look at Duran... Probably not going anywhere, you know, anytime soon. Rafi Devers, not going anywhere anytime soon. Tristan Casas almost has his batting average up to 240. And that, that that's like 350 to me. That's like, that's high compared to where he was, uh, you know, hitting like a buck 70 for a while. But Casas, probably not going anywhere. And uh, I think I'm missing one more. Yoshida, not going anywhere. So you're you're gonna probably you're probably gonna want to make a move to get you know to get a little bit more balanced on the right side and I think Verdugo makes the most sense having said that would I still extend him I I would be fine with that you know it's still like I said it complicates things I like Alex Verdugo but realistically you need to get more balanced and I'm only putting it, like I said, at 25 to 30%, but I think that's high. I, I think that's high, a high percentage uh, chance, really. Um, so we'll see. But he's definitely cold, and if he's not hitting, you know, he doesn't have to be hot, but, you know, if he's not hitting at, at a decent clip, hard to win baseball games. You guys brought up a lot of good points about Verdugo, and I think it's all very much directly correlated. The, these last couple of weeks, you know, Micah, those stats over the last 15 games. I mean, there's a couple of other things that have happened. So, you know, you guys mentioned it. Red Sox are very lefty heavy, and the lefties that they have, Devers, Casas, Yoshida, as you mentioned, Terry, they're not going anywhere. The other thing that's happened over the last week plus whatever is that the Alex Verdugo extension talks have pretty much gone silent and the Brian Bayo extension talks have taken over. Now it's, you know, Cotillo and everyone else is writing about, Oh, they should extend Brian Bayo. Yeah. Brian Bayo's the guy that they should approach in the off season for an extension, not Alex Verdugo. We've been talking Alex Verdugo session on this, on this show. We were talking about it in June. I think some people in the Red Sox media were talking about it in June because he was red hot and, you know, he was the guy that we were all latching on to. But that's tied down a little bit, especially with Brian Bayo doing what he's done and with Jaron Duran emerging. Now Jaron Duran is everyone's favorite 
Red Sox outfielder next to Yoshida. So, and let's face it, we know that Verdugo is an emotional guy. He wears his emotions on his sleeve, and that's a good and a bad thing. I think that that's starting to get to him. I think the fact that, you know, there's probably not been too many extension talks between him and the Red Sox. It seems like there has barely been any at all. And now he's hearing all this noise about Jaron Duran's a perfect leadoff hitter and Brian Bayo deserved an extension. And he's sitting there going, I was the best hitter on this team in May and June. And now it's all Duran, it's all Bayo, and they're they're moving me left and right, you know, all these places through the lineup. I think it's starting to bother him just a little bit. And I think that those trade talks about Verdugo is your best trade piece, those aren't dying down. The extension talks died down, but the trade talks have not. His name keeps coming up. And I think he's a guy who his brother is very active on social media. Like, I think he hears a lot of that. So I think Verdugo is starting to kind of hear the footsteps of Duran taking his spot as a leadoff hitter. And I think he's looking on Twitter and he's seeing that his name keeps popping up. You know, he keeps being linked to the Astros as, you know, oh, that's the perfect trade between the two teams. I think that's starting to bother him. And for a guy like him who plays with a lot of emotion, again, good and bad, but he does play with a lot of emotion, I think it's starting to drag him down a little bit. And I think that's why you're seeing him in this slump. So I don't know what the resolution to that's going to be because, you know, we're closing in on that deadline. And we'll talk a lot about that on our roundtable episode this weekend. But, yeah, it's I, I think that stuff's starting to get to him a lot. Uh, Micah, any other thoughts? Yeah, Jaron Duran has been the – you have to sit him against a left-handed pitcher. And Jaron Duran is hitting 270 against lefties. To me, that's that's really not that bad, especially for a young hitter. And we know how productive Duran is with his legs, whether he hits a ground ball or if he walks, and he just creates havoc. Alex Verdugo is hitting 238 against left-handed pitchers. So when you look at the splits – who really should probably be sitting against a lefty? You know, when you have Adam Duvall still on this team, who knows exactly what this roster, what the outfield's going to look like once the trade deadline comes. But right now you have Adam Duvall, who I'm perfectly fine if he hits against left-handed pitching. I feel comfortable with him against lefties. But if you're going to put Duvall in, I think there's an argument argument to be made that Duran should be in right field and Verdugo should be the guy who sits at least once once a week against lefties and give Duran a chance, uh, especially with the 161 batting average over the last 15 games. Uh, I think Duran, I don't I I don't know why he got put into that platoon role right away. It's like a lefty's on the mound, you can book Duran's on the bench. 270 against a, a Southpaw, that's that's probably better than league average, significantly better than league average for left-handed hitters. So I think that's interesting, um, but I'm not sure Alex Cora would have the guts to do that on a consistent basis. If, um, if Adam Duvall is still on this team after the trade deadline and the Red Sox decide to go with exactly what Micah suggested, where it's Duvall in center, Duran and Wright and Alex Verdugo gets traded. How would you guys like it? Is that okay by you guys, given where they are now? 
or would that be just ridiculous? And would it, you know, in like Terry, in your case, would you want Bloom out of here even more? <laughs> the, thing that, <laughs> the thing that makes me nervous is Bloom doesn't win a lot of trades. So what's the return going to be is the thing. Um, it would probably be prospects because a team that's taking on Alex Verdugo isn't going to want to weaken their rotation to give us the starter that we need. So um, I just, <laughs> I don't like anything. This is, like I said, a very uncomfortable time to be a Red Sox fan. And if we go into full-scale sell, um, we'll see what happens. But um, I think, like I said, I, I do want balance, though, to answer your question. You know, I'd I'd like to have ideally two lefty outfielders, two righty outfielders, and stories coming back. So you got one righty middle infielder, and who knows what's going to happen at second between now and free agency? Probably nothing really, because you got Meyer maybe coming up in the second half of next year at the earliest. Uh, I'm not sure what Nick York's timetable is, but you know he's a middle infielder. So, yeah, we're probably not getting much, uh, you know, but I'm just, I, I don't like anything right now. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. And like you said, we, we do need um, another starter, particularly with what happened this week with uh, our new ace. So that will lead us to him, Terry, who's number one on the list this week. Well, that will be Mr. Brian Bayo, and uh, I'm not going to hammer him too hard because, quite frankly, he's exceeded all of my expectations uh, so far for 2023. I did call this an automatic win, so perhaps I jinxed it. Um, you need to win two out of three against Oakland at a minimum. Like You need to bank those wins, like I said earlier in the show. And I was surprised. I mean, I was I was working uh, for most of the game, and it was already four to two when I uh, checked on it uh, for the first time. And Oakland had put up the four, but um, you know he was basically in trouble right away. Um, you know, Tony Kemp hits a single. JJ Blade again, my favorite name. Uh, hits another home run that, that puts the Red Sox, um, but that actually tied the game actually, cause Red Sox put up two that inning, but so tie ball game, uh, second inning, let's see, uh, no runs scored there. He, basically he gave up three home runs that were all two run shots. So it was. It was pretty costly. To, uh, Cody Thomas, who I'm not familiar with, might be a rookie, hit his first home run of his career today uh, off of him. That drove in Jace Peterson. And I want to say it was Peterson uh, that got the uh, final home run there. But uh, it was Jace Peterson in the fourth inning. So uh, got tattooed by the worst offense in baseball. So not something I saw coming, but... We have seen uh, Bayo make adjustments uh, and a lot of the times make them in the games and pitch very effectively. So I think it's a blip. Uh, I'm not 
I'm not really a pessimist on Bayo. He's going to pitch, let's see, is Atlanta after the Mets? So he'll pitch against them. That'll be, if he bounces back against that Atlanta lineup, which is probably one of the best in Major League Baseball, I mean, we all agreed last week that Atlanta right now would, would be the favorite to win the World Series. If he can bounce back against that lineup, that'll be a very good sign. Agreed. Micah? Yeah, I agree with Terry 100%. I was shocked that Oakland was, of all teams, to to hit three home runs against him. We have seen the home run ball kind of get him now on, um, on the road trip. I think he gave up two against Chicago. I think Cody Bellinger got him twice. Um, and then today three home runs so five in the last two starts something that we just haven't really been accustomed to with him because he's a ground ball pitcher and that sinker and and changeup combination is fantastic um but all pitchers have bad outings it just kind of happened at a bad time and unfortunately you don't get to choose when you have a bad outing i tweeted this morning that every time the red sox need him to have a big start and it seems like every start he makes he's really you know risen to the occasion and produced and today it just didn't happen but i don't think this is any type of concern to me the the thing that i was watching i don't know if you you both um, had an opportunity to watch um the entire game but he was coming off the mound in between they were showing him and he had his hands on his head and you could just clearly tell he was frustrated, and which is fine. But there's been other outings where he's also not had his location right away, and he kind of had to feel for it. And we didn't see those type of reactions from him. And it, it really felt like once that home run happened in the first inning, it, it just felt like he was defeated. And I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's just you know a, an observation from TV that isn't really um, accurate. But I don't think we've seen a, a frustrated Bayo. Maybe the only other time I can think about was when he didn't get over to cover first base against the Angels and Alex Cora went right out there and kind of put an end to it. Um, but I was a little surprised to see him come off the, the field. I think he did it two or three times in a row where he just was visibly frustrated with himself. And I think sometimes we forget he's still only 24 years old. He's really, really young and he's learning and he's learned at such a fast pace, um, way faster than I thought he was going to. And I think there's still some maturity left um, that we're, we're going to still see some growing pains. And today was a growing pain. Unfortunately, it happened against the athletics in a, in a game that you really could not afford to lose because losing two out of three to Oakland is just, not a good message to send to the front office um, around the trade deadline. So a bad time for a bad start, but I'm not concerned with Bayo moving forward. I tend to agree that I think this was a blip on the radar. Um, I'm glad that, Micah, you brought up the histrionics, the demonstrative nature in which he was coming off the mound. Um, I did notice that too. He was, you know, hands on the head. He was barking at himself on the mound after giving up home runs. Um, the last inning before they took him out, he threw, you know, just 
spiked his glove into the dugout, full-on Chris Sale mode. Um, I wasn't sure whether or not to paint that as immaturity or that competitive, like, the crazy, like, Max Scherzer or Chris Sale, like, I'm so mad that I gave up three home runs to this bum-ass Oakland team. Like, and I tend to lean towards the latter. I, I think it was just he was frustrated because he didn't have his best stuff. He wasn't sharp. Um, I mean, you're giving up home runs to Chase Peterson and Cody Thomas. I mean, J.J. Bleday at one point was a top prospect with the Marlins. Like, he's he's a pretty good player. Um, Chase Peterson? I mean, it, yeah, that was his sixth home run of the year. Cody Thomas is a 28-year-old rookie who hasn't done anything, and he just hit his big first big league home run off of you. So I think it was more he was just really, really aggravated and frustrated. And I think a lot of it is there's a lot of pressure on him. And unfairly, there's a lot of pressure on him because even on this show, we've said, look, this guy's your new ace. And that's not fair to him. And that's way we acknowledge way too much pressure to put on a 23-year-old. But that's where your team's at right now because the guy who everyone thinks is your ace, Chris Sale, is not anymore. I mean, it just in terms of health and ability, he's not. James Paxton has been pitching like an ace this year, but he's probably going to be gone in a few weeks. Garrett Whitlock's not it. Tanner Houck's not it. This is your guy. So I think that the weight of that pressure is kind of catching up with him a little bit. He knew that even though he was pitching against Oakland, which is a bad team, you know, in a huge ballpark where he has a lot of space to work with, he knew that this was a must-win, and that shouldn't be the case. You shouldn't be having must-win games against the Oakland Athletics in mid-July, but that's where this team is. They're, they're on a teetering point now because they don't know. Those guys in that clubhouse, they have no idea what the front, off, front office is going to do to them in the next two weeks, and they know that they've got to win these games. So it was just a lot of pressure on him, and I think that you know, he gave up that first, that home run in the first inning, and I think he just kind of felt like he didn't have it and was frustrated. And, you know, he's still young. He's like 23. So he, he doesn't know how to channel that properly. Like, and I, again, I hate to keep bringing up Pedro Martinez. It's so unfair. But when Pedro would get frustrated, he would come out the next inning, throw a 98 mile an hour fastball up at a guy's chin, and then strike him out the next three pitches. That's how he channeled his frustration. Brian Bayo is just too young, and he hasn't learned how to do that yet. So he goes out there the next inning and tries to execute his game plan, work with his pitcher, or work with his catcher, and figure out, okay, let's get back on track. And he just wasn't able to do it because his stuff wasn't there. So I chalk a lot of it up to frustration, but at the end of the day, it still wasn't good enough. It was not what the Red Sox needed. Um, against a bad team that they needed to take this series, especially with the day off afterwards. You're going up against the Mets. I know the Mets have been a train wreck this year, but you know they're, they're still going to provide a tough challenge, and his next start will be against the Braves. So if you're giving up home runs to Jace Peterson and Cody Thomas, what are you going to do against Acuna, Austin Riley, Matt Olson? I mean, that's that's a big you know, bounce back challenge for him. So hopefully it was a one-off. Hopefully it sparked a fire in him. Hopefully he talks with Alex Cora, Dave Bush, whoever he needs to talk to. 
maybe even Pedro. I don't know. Maybe he just talks to Pedro too and says, you know, what the hell happened there? And he figures it out because that next start against Atlanta, that's going to be a mountain for him to climb. And I think we're going to learn a lot about Brian Bayo when he faces the Braves in that next start. Uh, just a couple observations here. Um, number one, Nick pointed this out on our YouTube channel, which everybody should check out, by the way. Um, Bayo's ERA splits are drastic when it comes to day games and night games. At night, he's he's pitching to like a 239 ERA. During the day, it's over seven. So just a, a weird thing. It's still a relatively small sample size. Doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, the other observation that just kind of came to mind while you guys were giving your takes, what was the big topic all week regarding Bayo? Extension. Extensions. Could that be noodling around in his head while he's trying to locate his changeup? I don't know. So that kind of bears watching. I, I don't think we would hear about a Bayo extension until the winter anyway. But um, but still, you know, that can play a factor. We saw it affect Bogarts to, um, I think, a pretty significant degree. So we'll see. Micah has something. Yeah, I was, I that never crossed my mind until you brought it up, Terry. I find that very interesting because it's we talked about it, I believe, last week or two weeks ago, something like that, about Bayo and an extension. So that is an interesting point. I, I also wonder because I know I feel it just watching the games whenever um, Paxton, Crawford, or Bayo pitches because they're using two bullpen games. It feels like when those three starters are going, you absolutely need at least five, hopefully six innings out of them. And I wonder, do they kind of feel that as well? Like, I'm out here. The bullpen is absolutely taxed after two straight bullpen games. I have to go out there and be give six, seven innings. And Bale's done that probably over the last – I think he's averaged almost seven innings in his last eight starts prior to today – but that's not a realistic expectation, especially for uh, a 24-year-old who is really experiencing his first big league season. I think the, the, the bullpenning and the openers, I think it can kind of play mind games on those other starters and put a, a lot of extra pressure on them to, to just be better than they, they, they need to be. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to wonder if the hook that he got tonight – or. Uh, this afternoon rather um, upset him also because he's sitting there going, it's six to two. Like, okay, yeah, it's four run difference, but this is Oakland. And, you know, this offense can score runs. Like, don't take me out yet. I, you know, I, I can, I can figure it out. I can settle down and we can still win this game. I wonder if that also played into his mind. Like you said, you know, stressing the bullpen more, he's probably sitting there going, no, you don't need to. Like, I, I can figure this out. Just give me a shot to do it. Um, and maybe that's where Alex Cora made the right move, knows that it's a young kid. You know, I'm, I'm not going to stress him out any more than I have to, even though it might mean we lose this game. Um, granted, they lost the game because the offense couldn't rally, frankly. Bullpen did fine. Um, but, yeah, I wonder if that played into it too, where he just said, really, it, you know, I get it, six runs, but, you know, take me out and, and you know, leave it to the bullpen who's been taxed. Like, so – I think a lot of that frustration came forward. And yeah, I, I think, again, 
it's all the pressure, the pressure of just not only what's expected of him now, but with the bullpen games, you know, and, and with all the injuries that, you know, they've sustained to their pitching staff. Like I think it all came boiling up. So tough to see, but again, we all just hope blip on the radar and yeah, that next brave start is going to be a big one for Bayo. So, but unfortunately um, tough series for the Red Sox to drop two out of three to the athletics. Um, but that's the way it goes. So we're going to wrap on that. Uh, we will be previewing the Mets series coming up. That'll be our next episode. That's coming up this weekend. Red Sox have an off day on Thursday. They'll play the Mets Friday through Sunday, including a Sunday night baseball special. So we'll be previewing that. And then we'll have our roundtable episode coming out this weekend as well. We'll be talking trade deadline, maybe a little bit more Alex Verdugo trade talks. 